In Mark 12 and in verse 28, talking about an incident that took place with Jesus, it says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So this is the greatest commandment. And we are still commanded today in New Testament times as well to obey this great commandment. That is two parts. <laughs> I don't think any of us have a real problem with loving God. We're really learning to do that and to just appreciate him when we consider all that he's done for us, his grace, his forgiveness, his promise of eternal life for us. Uh, that certainly is praiseworthy and we do love him and we continue to remind him that we love him as we should with all of our heart with all of our soul with all of our mind and with all of our strength but you know Jesus put this second part in this great commandment that I think we find more challenging love your neighbor as yourself God's easy to love He's righteous, he's good, he's holy, but our neighbors, not so much all the time. <laughs> Loving our neighbor as ourselves is actually found in the Bible eight times. So it's important to God, not only to love him, but the second part, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's so important to God that we do this, that he makes it a command. And not just any command, Jesus couples the command to love your neighbor as yourself with loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So as far as God is concerned, it's just as important for us to love our neighbor as ourself as it is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In the, the book of James, I won't turn there, but James calls this the royal law the royal law and it sounds beautiful and it is when we obey it but sometimes we have a struggle when it comes to obeying that second part loving your neighbor as yourself isn't easy that's why God made it a command he knew that we would struggle with it because loving your neighbor as yourself is opposed to our fallen human nature. Our fallen human nature says, love yourself most of all, and don't, don't be concerned with anybody else. You don't need to worry about other people as long as you're happy, as long as you're satisfied. That's the attitude of our fallen human nature. So God knew that we would struggle in this area and that we would have to make every effort to obey this command. We have to be intentional about it. I want to turn to Romans chapter 8. 
I realized as I started out preparing a message on how to love your neighbor as yourself that it's going to take more than one sermon. So this is the start of a, a short series of sermons, and we're going to talk about exactly how to love your neighbor as yourself, but this is a little bit of preliminary information. Here Paul talks about the struggle that we all have because we have two natures. We started out with our fallen human nature and we dealt with that for many years until the time came that we decided to have Jesus as our Savior. We were baptized, we received the Holy Spirit, and we received a second nature, if you will. So our lives as Christians is often a struggle you know, the fallen human nature is trying to pull us backwards into the way we used to be. And God's nature through the Holy Spirit is trying to pull us toward being like the likeness of Jesus Christ. So we're constantly in this struggle. And Paul reminds us here that we no longer live according to our fallen human nature. At least that's what our mindset should be. We leave the past behind. We leave the, the old dead person in the grave, uh, the watery grave when we were baptized. We don't let that person live anew in our lives now that we're Christians. Let's see what he says here in Romans 8 and verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, that's us, okay, since we accepted Jesus as our Savior, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man or woman is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So when it comes to getting along with people, not only getting along with them, but as we just read, loving them as we love ourselves. That takes effort. We can't do that in and of ourselves. We need God's Spirit. And don't forget, we've been commanded to do this. So living by the Spirit, we have to put forth an effort. We, we, we need to want to obey God in this command and love our neighbor as ourselves. He says in verse 9, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature anymore, but by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And as we talked last week about Pentecost, that Spirit has come to all of us. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and it does, He does, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. So let's just bring up the subject of loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not just a nice thought. It's a command. And we have an obligation to do that. 
but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. So we love God. We, not, we don't have a problem with that. But when it comes to that neighbor of mine, and I'm not just saying the next door neighbor, I'm talking about the people that you work with, the people who might be in different groups that you belong to, might even be members of your own family, relatives, that need to love them as we love ourselves is something that God commands us to do. He has given his spirit so that it can be accomplished. And it's not just something that we, we put off and think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could get along with that person? We need to make an effort to do just that. So in order to love your neighbor as yourself, first of all, you, you need to know that information that we've been given the wherewithal to accomplish it. And we need to put forth the effort to do it. But in order to love your neighbor as yourself, you need to know what love is and also that you are loved. I want to turn to 1 John 4 and verse 10. Not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John. Way back in the back of your Bible. 1 John 4 and verse 10. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the first thing you need to know before you can really love other people as you love yourself is that you are loved. You are the object of God's love. And let me just tell you that God loves you desperately. He really does. Now I've known Christians over the years who really have a negative view of themselves. They consider themselves to be Christians, they come to church, and so on, but they know their weaknesses, they know their sins, you know, they've been told by their family maybe early on in life that they're no good, that they'll never amount to anything, and they have a very low self-esteem and a, a low view of themselves. But you see, when you become a Christian, that has to change. I don't mean that all of a sudden you become very vain and self-centered and, and have a huge ego, but you have to come to the point where you accept the fact that you are the object of God's love, that he truly does love you with all your faults, with all of your sins, and he loves you so much that he sent his son to this earth to die on your behalf. And you know, you've heard it said before, but it's really true. If you were the only human being on this earth, and you sinned, God would have sent his son here to die for you. You know, you have to take it personally that way. And to realize that this love that he extends to you through Jesus Christ is very personal and very intimate. It's you that he loves, not mankind in general, or not the church in general. You individually, he loves desperately. And there are passages here in the... Uh, general epistles where we are addressed, church members are addressed as beloved. So you're not just loved by God, you're beloved. 
He loves you that much. That's the way he thinks of you, and that's how much he loves you. So before you can love others, you've got to realize that God loves you. He really does. And, and you think, what? With all of my problems and with all of my issues and with all of my attitudes, God loves me? Yes, he does. Now, when you look at your neighbors with all of their problems and all of their sins and all of their attitudes, you have been given the wherewithal to love them because God's love dwells in you. You're not just loved by God in a general sort of way, but you're loved deeply and unconditionally. God is the source of our love, and it's his love that we share with others. So you, can, you might think to yourself, you know, certain people, I just don't, I don't dig them. <laughs> I don't get along with them, you know. But nevertheless, we're commanded to love those people as we love ourselves. To love your neighbor as yourself, you've got to love yourself, too. Jesus died for each and every one of ourselves, and if Jesus values us enough to go through what he went through on our behalf, we owe it to him to value what he values. He values us. We need to value ourselves. And again, I'm not saying in an egotistical, self-centered way, but just realize the fact that God loves you. Jesus, our Lord, loves you. He values you. We see what he went through for us, and we need to love what he loves, and that's us. <laughs> so, okay, before you can love other people, you got to realize that you're loved by God, and you got to love yourself. In spite of all of your problems that are forgiven by God, God loves you so much that his word says, and I want to turn to John 17, verse 23, and this, this verse is incredulous. It's, it's unbelievable that God would say such a thing. But he does say it in John 17, verse 23. This is Jesus praying to God just before his crucifixion. And notice what he says here in verse 23. He's praying for the church. He's praying for us individually, not just the church in general. He says, I will dwell in them. He says, I and them and you and me, this uh, mutual indwelling. That's the relationship that Jesus had with the Father and the Father had with Jesus. And now that God extends to us through Jesus Christ, I and them and you and me, he says to the Father, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them Christians, even as you have loved me. So in other words, what Jesus is saying, Father, you love them, my followers, believers, as much as you love me. How can God the Father love us in the same way that he loves his son, Jesus Christ? That to me just seems unbelievable. But nevertheless, that is the nature of God's love for us. He loves us to the same extent that he loves his son, Jesus Christ. So that's something we've got to ex accept. We don't feel lovable all the time. I'm sure we don't act lovable, but God loves us. And we have to come to the point that we love what God loves. So we accept ourselves with all of our faults 
we love ourselves. How dare we not love what the Father loves? And learning to love ourselves prepares us to love our neighbor. Okay, so this is preliminary now, okay? We're still not talking about exactly some steps in how to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we first, again, have to ask a question. Who is our neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who exactly is your neighbor? Luke 10, beginning in verse 29. Jesus was asked the same question. You know, he uh, mentioned this great commandment in this gospel here in Luke 10. And the wise guy in the audience who heard him say that said, okay, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied in Luke 10 and verse 29. It says, but he, this, this individual in the audience wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, he tells a story here that we're familiar with. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So this is a Jew who was beaten up by robbers and left for dead. And two other Jews come down the road, see him in need of help, and conveniently cross the street and ignore the man. But, verse 33, of all things, a Samaritan. And don't forget, Samaritans were rejected by Jews for several different reasons. Uh, so, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man, the Jewish man, was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus says, which of these three the first one who passed him by, the second one who passed him by, and then the third one who stopped and helped the guy who was beaten up. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, it was customary in Jesus' day and I think it still is in our culture today that we only show favoritism to people who have the same viewpoints that we have, the same interests that we have, the same beliefs that we have. Now, you could take that even further in our society today that we show favoritism toward people who look like us, who have the same language that we have, the same race, the same political views. Those are the people that we show favor to. Those are the people that we would want to spend time with. Those are the people we would feel comfortable around. But Jesus, when asked the question, who is my neighbor, 
specifically picks somebody who is considered an enemy or different or objectionable. And he points to this person who is different than you are and says, this is your neighbor. Okay? So he's teaching us a lesson here that we can't be separated by political beliefs or, or racial differences or ethnic differences. We can't allow ourselves to be separated from people like that because those are the people that we have to love as much as we love ourselves. It can be anybody that God can bring along in your life and God expects you to show love, concern, perhaps provide help for that person where you're able, in words of encouragement, whatever we can do for that person. We can't just limit it in our mind to people that are like us or people that we maybe feel comfortable around. Jesus goes out of his way to show, no, it's the opposite that you need to be concerned with. So animosity existed between the Jews and the Samaritans in Jesus' day because it was a part of their history. It went way back. And these people were greatly divided. But Jesus in his story here and in his parable of the Good Samaritan specifically points out to, to them that your neighbor is somebody that you would least expect to be your neighbor. In other words, you have to love your neighbor, whoever it may be. And in some cases, it may be somebody totally different from you. And that's how you love your neighbor as yourself. So I wanted to, to, to kind of preview the, the next couple of sermons when we talk about exactly how to love your neighbor. We've seen here so far that, first of all, you need to know that you are loved by God. So that love needs to be extended to other people. And secondly, you really need to feel comfortable with yourself and love yourself before you can love other people. And it's God's love flowing through us that reaches out and affects other people's lives in a positive way. And then thirdly, when it comes to who we consider to be our neighbor, it can be anybody. Don't limit yourself in any way. Because when you do that, the lesson that I've learned in my life is that God will go out of his way to bring to you somebody who's different than you, who needs help. And God, in a sense, will test you to see what your attitude is. And you know, if we turn our backs on somebody in need, and we don't love them as we love ourselves, because we don't feel comfortable that they're different, or they speak a different language, or they're ethnically different, you know, God kind of shakes his head and thought, well, I thought that they were further along than that. You know, I, I was expecting more of them. And we should feel ashamed when that happens. We should have regrets and we should repent to God. Turn with me to James chapter 2. Because James has a word to say, too, about excluding people from whom we would consider helping. And, you know... We've all had these feelings over the years. It's a part of our nature, or maybe it was the way we were raised. Uh, You know, you see somebody sleeping in the park and they're all dirty and they haven't bathed for a while and they're in filthy clothes. 
we tend to walk past a person like that going, ew, you know, <laughs> why doesn't this person go get some help someplace? But, you know, I'm not the, I don't feel comfortable helping them. Or I know that there have been times where I've walked in and out of Walmart, and from time to time, just like in the old days, you see people outside of Walmart, you know, holding out a basket saying, I need help, or we need money, or we don't have food for the baby, or, and sometimes you think, well, is that for real, or is, they're just trying to cash in on people, and we just kind of bypass them and let them go, and we don't extend help to them. But notice what James says here in James 2, beginning in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Don't be willing to help just the people you feel comfortable around and ignore the rest. Turn your back on the rest. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, church services, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, <laughs> but say to the poor man, you stand there, sit in the back, you know, you stink or you're dirty or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong, Jesus? If you really keep the royal law, here it is, found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourselves, we should be blind in a sense to who that neighbor is and who we should reach out to and try to help. And it's not only financial help, it's, it's encouragement, it's prayer. It could be many things. Just an example, an issue that I've dealt with in my mind over the past several years. And again, I'm not speaking politically here, so don't take me wrong. You know, I think in the past, some people have taken me the wrong way, thinking that I'm taking a stand either as a Republican or a Democrat. I'm not doing any of that, okay? So please, cut me some slack here. Don't judge me. You know, this whole matter of our southern border and how people are coming across the border without any restrictions, and, you know, this has been going on for several years now. Somebody asked me, well, how do you feel about that? And I say, you know what? I, I think that the laws should be upheld as to the laws that have been set up as to who comes into the country. You know, we set up laws for the protection of our country that people need to, uh, I don't know, take a, take a test for citizenship. They need to be checked out medically. They need to apply to come into the country. I, I said that those rules were set up years ago and they're fine rules. 
And I think, you know, we don't want to let the wrong kind of people into our country to cause havoc and terrorism and things like that. But if people who come across the border illegally or whatever you want to call it end up in my neighborhood and they have needs and they're hungry and they can't feed their kids, I have a responsibility as a Christian no matter how they came into the country, to love them as I love myself. Okay, you catch that, that difference there? And it was the same case in Jesus' day. You know, Samaritans in the country, or how they got there, or should they be there? There was a lot of feelings one way or another uh, amongst the, the citizens of Jerusalem and so on. But Jesus said, if they're there and they need help, it's not a time to question how they got there or should they be there. When you see somebody who is struggling and who needs help, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And by doing that, you're not taking a stand politically one way or the other, you're being a Christian. You're not showing favoritism, okay? So we need to be aware, and we're gonna learn a little bit more about this next week of the people around us, not in a judgmental way. You know, if somebody's poor, we don't start thinking, well, how did they get poor? Maybe they should have a job. Maybe they should be working. Maybe they should, you know, don't judge them. But as Jesus said here, be willing and ready to help as you're able to help. You know, if you see somebody, and I don't think, you know, you'll see this, but in Jesus' day, it was common. You see somebody that's been beaten up and robbed, you don't start asking questions now. What, what race are they? What ethnic background are they? What language do they speak? Have they gotten their shots? You know, and are they wearing a mask? Uh, no, we're there to help as Christians. God has given us the love that we need to share with others. So we have no excuse. You know, there are a lot of people in our country today who will not reach out to help people in need because they're not like they are. They're different. And uh, maybe God has never given them the love that they need to share with other people. Maybe they're not Christians. Maybe they're not living up to the responsibility that God has given us. He hasn't just given us a responsibility. He has commanded us. It is the great commandment, not only to love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and, you know, whatever. But it's also to love your neighbor as yourself. So feel comfortable with yourself. Know that you are loved by God. But as a Christian, don't forget, the reason he's given you that love, not that you can keep it selfishly, but that you can share it with others. So we'll have the second part of this sermon uh, next week. But this is a kind of a preview, a pre preliminary, some background information. And next week we'll get into exactly how we love our neighbor as ourselves.